All right, let's take our Bibles this morning to Hebrews chapter number 12. Hebrews chapter number 12. And I failed to uh, mention earlier, pray for Brother Scott Hawfield. They, he was here for Sunday school, but not feeling well, so they had to go home. And uh, most of our church probably don't realize it, but he's going through all of the testing that's required uh, to get qualified for a kidney transplant. And so um, they've just, sometimes it, it, he's doing okay and sometimes he's not. And so you pray for him. Uh, the Lord will help them. Sometimes his blood pressure becomes a problem as a result of all of that as well. Uh, and so they, they had a couple of grandchildren for the weekend. Uh, and so I'm, I'm, and they're little, so I'm sure that played a part. Uh, so we often have grandchildren that age, and my blood pressure generally goes up when we have them for two, a while, too. Uh, and so, uh, no, it's a joy to see him come. And, uh, but but uh, do pray for him in all seriousness. The Lord will just give him a little bit of gr more grace today, some healing, and kind of ease the symptoms as they uh, get settled in this afternoon. And so, but we'll miss them this morning as well as they had to leave after the Sunday school hour. Hebrews chapter 12, in the first four verses here as we get started this morning, the Bible says there, wherefore... Seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which has so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, who is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. I'm going to speak a little while this morning on the thought, looking unto Jesus. And let's pray. Father, thank you uh, again that we can come. And Lord, I think that as we look at this passage, if we'll open our hearts to it, Lord, I know that you promise that when we gather, you're in our midst. But beyond that, Lord, would you speak to each heart? Lord, may you help us to be attentive to your word. And Holy Spirit, may you be attentive to our souls. Lord, convict us where we need convicting. Encourage us where we need encouraging. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to, uh, to glean this morning from this what you would have for us. So think of Brother Scott as he had to leave this morning, that you'd touch his body and give him healing. Uh, Lord, again, our folks that are traveling, that you give them safety uh, as they're on the road and bring them back to us. Lord, bless this hour, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> as we look at this, I know that I, I referenced chapter verse number two pretty frequently. Um, it's, it's, I don't know that I would say that I have an absolute favorite verse, but if I was to make a list of, uh, of you know, top 10 or so, certainly Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number two would be in it, simply because uh, it says of Jesus as he suffered for our sins that he, he, for the joy that was set before him. It's good for me to remind myself, uh, especially if I'm having a difficult day, that I was the joy that caused him to go and to stay on the cross and to endure the punishment of our sin to make salvation possible. I'm grateful this morning that we have such a God and such a Savior that loves us enough to not only uh, pay the price, but to set the example for all things in life in the years before. Uh, and he references that some here this morning. He starts off this chapter by saying, wherefore, uh, and wherefore simply meaning for this reason. 
And so as he starts here and he looks, he says, For this reason we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. So what does that mean? Who is this great cloud of witnesses? What is it that he's trying to communicate? And uh, for this reason, what is the reason? And we have to look back. We're not going to look at all of chapter 11, but I do want to go back to verse number 32 uh, as he goes from a time where he's mentioning many by name to beginning to kind of summarize. Uh, and he says, what shall I more say? Uh, for the time would fail to tell you of Gideon, for me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah and of David also, of Samuel and of the prophets. Notice what they did, the price that they paid, the example that they set for the cause of Christ. The great love, the great understanding, the great price they were willing to pay. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of the weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had a trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted, uh, they were slain with the sword, and they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth, and these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God, having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, because of this, we're compassed about. Because of this, he calls our attention here. And so we know in Hebrews, the chapter 11 in particular, we refer to it uh, as the faith chapter, a chapter of the Hall of Fame of Faith, if you will, many call it. Uh, and he begins the chapter by defining for us this faith that they died for, that they lived for, that they suffered for. And he says in verse number one of chapter 11, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Uh, substance meaning the foundation that that faith is the foundation of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. It's steadfastness of mind. It's firmness. It's courage. It's resolution. So when he talks here and he says that uh, the faith is the substance, faith is the courage for life. It is the hope of life. It is, uh, it is us coming to the foundation of uh, our life and it gives us the firmness, the rigidness to stand in uh, the storms of life. And he says of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's not just a blind acceptance. It's looking at the evidence that's there. I spoke of this or just mentioned this recently over the last couple of weeks and you know the reality is is that we all understand that there's oxygen in this air that we're breathing this morning. We can't see it but there's evidence of it 
And the evidence of it is that we're still upright. We're still walking around. We're still able to function. Uh, our bodies are getting the oxygen levels that they need uh, because it's there. I can't see it, but there's evidence that it's there. And when he talks about faith, he's not talking about just blind acceptance uh, of some, something that is, uh, that is undetectable. He's saying, listen, God has demonstrated himself and revealed himself all throughout nature in the lives of people that you, run in, that you come in contact with, of those that you, uh, that you communicate with, and those that you uh, go out of your way sometimes to help. And there's evidence of faith. There's evidence of God. There's evidence of his sacrifice. There's evidence of my sinful condition and my need of a savior and his mercy and forgiveness to pay for the debt of sin that I owe. And he says here, wherefore, because of this, for this reason, we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Who's the crowd? Who's this cloud of witnesses? He listed them for us in Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, this is not just some random wherefore because of this. It's very specific. He tells of their suffering. Some of them, Daniel was thrown into a lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into a fiery furnace and emerged meeting Jesus in the fire unscathed. Not even the smell of smoke upon them when they emerged uh, from the pit. Some uh, gave their lives. James was beheaded. Uh, Isaiah, tradition tells us, was sawn in half. Uh, and there are others that uh, suffered stoning. We think of Stephen in the New Testament. Uh, James, of course, and, and others that, uh, that gave their lives. When you move into even beyond the era of, uh, of the New Testament church age or scripture giving, uh, and you move to uh, those that were burned at the stake because they would not renounced their faith in Christ throughout the, uh, the medieval ages of, uh, in England and across Europe. And they, they were willing to pay a high price. And uh, he lays out, he says, because of that, for this cause, they're watching. They're watching us live out the faith that they gave so much to secure and to bring forward to another generation for us. Now he lays out for us here a sporting event. Apostle Paul often in his writings does that. Uh, they lived in the time of, uh, of the Roman Empire. And at this particular time in history, if you go and check, even today, there are the ruins of most of the arenas that were in cities that are all over the place. Uh, and most of the major cities had a venue where there would be a temple to the local deity, but there would also be of, of Greek or Roman mythology, uh, the way that we would look at it today. But there would also be an arena where they would have uh, races and they would have uh, sporting spectacles. Uh, Spectacles that would take place and at the end of those uh, they would put a crown uh, which generally was a little wreath like thing uh, that they would put on uh, the victor of the race and uh, the, the host of the city the people would gather in the arena to watch the spectacle or the event that was uh, taking place and so Paul gives us that picture so what is the spectacle this morning and the spectacle that he's demonstrating for us here is the race of life it is comparing our lives to a race, but not just the race of our choosing. This is not a sprint. 
It is not a race that we could gather in a stadium and that we would uh, watch an athlete, the athletes run uh, a hundred yard or meter dash or a 400 meter dash where they would make multiple laps around the track. Uh, this is more like the marathon. The interesting thing about the marathon uh, in, a, in a World Cup or a, an Olympic venue, generally the race starts in the stadium. <coughs> the largest venue where all of the track and field events go and they'll, <coughs> they'll make a lap before they head out of the stadium. <coughs> And they'll uh, run the majority of the race through the city streets and across the countryside following the pre-designated route that's been marked off for them. And that has, uh, has stations along the way for things like Gatorade for them to kind of keep themselves going. The spectators will line the, the, the different avenues of the race where they can get to it. They'll, they'll line ways to kind of see the race and cheer things on. And then at the end of the race, the course generally 23 and a half miles will work its way through, wind its way through, and come back into the stadium for one final lap before they cross the finish line, and uh, a winner is declared. And my friends, that this morning is the race that the Apostle Paul is giving us a demonstration of. There is a great crowd there to send us off as we trust Christ as our Savior and we begin our walk with him that have paid this price and they're waiting there to welcome us whenever we come home and uh, waiting to crown those that are there. It is the spectacle. It is not a short sprint, but it is a long marathon. There's a lot of excitement and encouragement at the beginning. There's a lot of obstacles and opposition along the way. There's a lot of times when they're weary. There are times uh, whenever they would catch a second wind. When I was young, I would run fairly long distances. I never ran a marathon. I never was that crazy. Uh, I might hike that far, but I'm not going to try to run that far. Uh, but I could run, and I generally would run longer distances. I uh, would generally, when I was in high school, I could run a, a mile and, and about... I think the fastest mile I ever ran was, uh, was about four and a half minutes. And so I was, I was small. I don't look like it now, but I was bones and I was just skin stretched over bone. I was six foot three since I've been six foot three since I was 13 years old. Uh, and there are a lot of things that I couldn't do, but one thing I could do was run. I wish I could run now. I uh, Brother Norton was here, our missionary in Italy, and uh, he always loved to run, but he's getting up my age, and he just says, my running now looks more like a shuffle. Uh, and so I think a lot of us would be happy if we could just shuffle. Uh, and so, but he, uh, he, he's talking about this race. And there are times when it's uphill and it's hard, and there are times when it's downhill and it's, uh, it's a little easier. There's times when uh, you feel like you're not going to be able to go on much further, but then there are other times when you kind of catch a second wind and feel reju rejuvenated, and you just, uh, it's, it's almost like you just started. Uh, and it's, it's kind of hard to explain unless you've experienced it, but, uh, but th these runners go. I, I don't generally watch that kind of thing when the Olympics come on. It's too far, it takes too long, it takes them, but they're running. 23 and a half miles and generally about two and less than two and a half hours. They'll run an average five minute mile for 23 and a half miles. That's amazing. And the, the, it's amazing that they could keep that up. But what he's laying out for us here is he's saying, listen, your life is a marathon. Your life is a race. And there are others that have run it before you. And they're there to encourage and to support. He shares with us about the stadium. It's filled with so great a cloud of witnesses. Witnesses being those that have proved 
that have proved the strength and the genuineness of their faith suffering for Christ. These are not people in the stands that are cheering you on that have no idea what it's like to run in a race. These are not people that uh, are there that have never, uh, never competed, that have never endured hardship, that have never suffered for the cause of Christ. Those that are there are those that have paid the highest of prices. Those that have not just lived through hardship, but in many cases have given their lives. And not all of them have given their li lives in a way to where their, their end was swift and painless. In many cases, uh, it was long and painful. What God gave them to do, they accepted within, and, and he gave them the grace to endure. And the genuineness of their faith through Christ undergoing violent deaths qualifies them to sit in the stadium and to cheer us on, not from a vantage point of someone who just likes sport but can't understand the price that's paid, but those that have paid the price. He talks of the struggle, the race that is set before us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Listen, if I try to go it alone, if I try to just make it on my own, the course of life will overwhelm. God did not create us to go through life alone. God did not create us to be solitary creatures. Now, some people will function pretty well in that way. I'm kind of wired that way. But it's not healthy for anyone to be alone for too long. And if I try to go through my Christian life by myself, without the encouragement of my brothers and sisters in Christ, without the ability to draw strength from those that have endured what I'm enduring uh, to help me understand and to get through, without the rebuke when necessary, the encouraging word when necessary, without uh, that person that's there that's saying, listen, uh, I know you don't feel like you can make it, but I've been where you've been, and with God's help, you can make it. Just don't give up. Stay in the fight. Stay in the race. Uh, continue on. Press on. It is a struggle, but when you cross the finish line, it'll be worth it. I love stories about runners that stumbled and fall, and I forget the name of one in particular, but it was in an Olympics, and he, he was running a race. It was not a marathon, but it was a longer race, and I think he was even projected to be the one to win the race, and uh, about halfway through, uh, his feet got tangled up with another runner, and he went down hard, and, uh, and, there was, and it took him a, a, a little bit to recover, uh, and he uh, couldn't even run when it was done very well, and he really was more of a hobble and, uh, and, a, and a weak limp, and, uh, and he, but he finished the race. He got up and even though he knew that there was no way that he would win, that there was no way that he would meet expectations, that there was no way uh, that, he would, uh, that he would be considered anything other by the world at large as having failed in what he was trying to achieve, he set out to run that race in that stage in that venue and he was going to finish the race uh, and winning or losing didn't matter. Character uh, to finish what was started is what mattered. The, the apostle writes here, the writer of Hebrews gives us the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Wherefore, for this reason, endure. 
You're surrounded. You have comfort. He shares with us the spectacle, the stadium, the struggle. He even tells us the strategy. <coughs> Listen, racers have a strategy. Those that would race in a long race and, and those that would run uh, things that, that where runners will bunch up in groups and even in a thing like a, like a marathon, you'll get a, you'll get a lead pack and they'll, they'll be a pace setter. Somebody is going to run out there and they're going to try to set the pace. The pace setter almost always runs out of energy before the end of the race. But you'll latch on to someone that, 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 that's kind of at your ability, your pace level. And, uh, and most really skilled and successful runners will hang uh, back toward the back of that particular group of runners that they're with until they get to the right place where they know their training, they know their fitness level, they know their, uh, how they're responding to the track and to the weather conditions and to all of those things. They're trying to conserve energy and then they'll get toward the end and they know when to turn it on. They know when to push forward. They know when to drive ahead so that they give themselves the best opportunity for success. There is a strategy to the way that they run and he shares with us here a strategy. He says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Listen, we all have sin. We're all sinners. Perhaps you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You don't know that heaven is your home. You uh, Maybe this is all brand new to you, uh, but what I'm telling you this morning is that the only difference between the person this morning that's hearing this for the first time and the person that's embraced it the longest ago is the grace of God and knowing that sin is forgiven. No, There's no difference to say, well, I'm just a sinner. We're all just sinners saved by the grace of God. There's no one here that's better than anyone else. There's no one here uh, that's, uh, uh, that, that is uh, more worthy than anyone else. We're all sinners. And just because Jesus saved me doesn't mean that I've lived a life without sin. And my sin weighs me down. Extra weight is great for training, but it's bad for race day. I remember whenever I was in high school getting ready for basketball season, getting ready for, you know, kind of track season and things like that that we would do. We would get ankle weights and we'd walk, we'd wear them around walking everywhere that we went. We'd wear these crazy ankle weights and then we'd, uh, we'd run with them. But we never on a race day, never during a game day. They're just something that slows you down, that lugs you down. And, and he writes here and he says, listen, the strategy is to lay aside the things in life that bog you down that drag you down. Identify those things and remove them and set them to the side. Lay aside. And then he tells us, run with patience. Don't just be all charged up to go out there and take the lead from the opening lap and carry it all the way through uh, to the end. Run with patience. There are times when you need to conserve energy. There are times when you need to sprint. There are times uh, when you need to stop and slow down to encourage someone else. And then we see it throughout the New Testament, the characteristics of those uh, that were that were not a swerving from their faith, those that would not be dissuaded or discouraged from staying true and staying faithful and finishing their course. Uh, they didn't always do it flawlessly. Sometimes they made mistakes and had to be forgiven and restored. And, uh, but you see Peter and you see James and you see the Apostle Paul and the price that they paid for their faith and for our faith to be brought to us in this age Then the strategy with it they run. I want you to notice this morning that he says, 
led us. Wherefore, seeing also we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run. Let us. What does that mean? It means we must choose to run voluntarily. Satan will coerce you into doing whatever he wants you to do, but God never will. The Holy Spirit of God will always gently lead you. He'll encourage you. He'll try to draw you to make the right decision. He'll, he'll convict you of sin. He'll impress upon your heart. But the choice, the decision is every individual believer's decision. I cannot force you, Caleb, to serve God the way that you should serve God. I cannot force you, Aubrey, to do the things that you know are right to do. I, your parents can force you for a time. But that time comes to a close and you must choose on your own. Everyone must choose whether or not they will embrace the relationship with Christ. Whether they will live for and serve God. Whether they will experience the best that God has for them. And whether they're willing to run the race that God has set before them. I'm telling you this morning that God has a, a, has a plan and a path for your life. You are a unique individual that's been handmade, created by God, and he's longing for you to engage in the race, to embrace uh, what he's ordained you to complete. God has a plan for you, a purpose to you that fits into the great picture of eternity. Say, well, pastor, what is mine? That's for you to discover. That's for you to adopt, to embrace. We see that strategy, that strategy to run with patience. And we've seen them that have done so. We've seen him say, let us, we must choose voluntarily. He will not force you. Every great person of faith listed in Hebrews chapter 11 is like every other person of great faith throughout all of history. They chose. When God came to Abraham, Abraham chose. When he came to the others, they chose to follow God, to embrace his call to carry out his plan for their life. In short, they chose by faith to run the race because they deemed the reward worth it. Ultimately, we give our lives for that which we value. We live our lives for that which we love. And we can say and often do how much we value the Lord Jesus Christ and how much we love him, but how we live our lives bears the fruit of how true that statement really is. We can convince ourselves that we do, but deny that we do by our actions. We must choose to run the race just as we are. When he says here, Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Now understand this morning that Jesus came to the cross not because for those who were refined and not for those uh, that were, that were self-disciplined and not for those uh, that didn't have a lot of sin in their life. Jesus came for us where we were. He came to us in the condition that we were in. There was no prerequisite. There was no, if you get to this point, then I'll step in and help you. <coughs> my, uh, uh, my 
some of my family likes to watch, Sonia likes to watch sometimes too, some of these kind of documentary type things, especially, uh, you know, whatever kind of the hot topic is. A lot of it is, uh, a lot of it is kind of crime related or things of that nature. But uh, every once in a while, something will pop up and uh, I'll, I'll have conversations. We'll have conversations or I'll overhear conversations about, you know, this person. And uh, and uh, you can tell in my family, we tend to get a little bit on the large side. Uh, but a lot of that is her fault because she's too good of a cook. Uh, and so uh, at least it's easy to lay the blame there. I, I, I realize that I need to be the one to push away. It's just hard whenever she cooks so well. Uh, and so, uh, but they were watching this thing and it was showing somebody that was getting ready to have this gastric bypass surgery and the doctor was real firm about you got to lose this much weight before you can be approved for the surgery, something like 50 pounds or something like that. Uh, and you've got to show that you've got enough discipline so that when we do the surgery, you can continue to progress and uh, not essentially kill yourself by overeating and indulging. Uh, I'm glad that when Jesus came, he didn't say, if you'll do this, if you'll cut off this amount of sin, if you'll drop this much weight, if you'll set aside these many things that are holding you back, then I'll come. No, Jesus said, I'm coming to you right where you are. I'm coming to you just how you are. In the depth of your sin and the brokenness of your condition, in a crushed and unrecoverable state to anyone and anything other than the miraculous working of God. And we must realize this morning that the salvation of our soul, that our walking of the Christian life faithfully is not something that we can do in our own power, but it is the supernatural act of God that we simply accept and submit to and let God do his work in us. He came to us where we are this morning. As a Christian, I have a race to run, but I must choose to run that race. I must choose to deem that Jesus is worthy of me running the race, of me preparing for the race, of me putting in the work. One commentator said it this way, if hope is, is to do its vital work in the believer's soul, then it must be firmly fixed upon the Lord Jesus contemplation of him will bring two disciplines into our lives spiritual discipline and self-discipline I'm not saying this morning that self-discipline doesn't have a role to play in our service to God I will tell you that if self-discipline is all that we rely upon then we'll fail but spiritual discipline brings us to a place where we're focused on him where we're fixed upon him and I can only run my race successfully by looking unto Jesus. Notice what he says here. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. <coughs> looking unto. And what does that mean? To look unto means to consider attentively. To turn the eyes away from other things and to fix them upon something. Those of you that have been in the military, especially if you were in an infantry unit or, uh, or anything to where uh, you would have to, to, to reverse terrain, uh, undoubtedly went through a land navigation course. And in a land navigation course in the military, you get a map and you get a protractor and you get a compass and a pencil. And you're given a course in which you're to kind of maneuver around and figure out how to get there. The problem is, is that your map reads 
true north. But a compass reads magnetic north. So you have to learn to make the adjustment depending upon where you are. You have to look. There's always on a topographical map which shows you the, the, the rays and the fall of terrain. Uh, and so you see the maps that have got all these kind of squiggly lines around everything. And the closer those lines are together, the steeper the terrain is. When you see them really far out, you kind of smile because that means it's flat ground and it's not going to be that difficult uh, or at least less difficult. Uh, and so you can kind of get a gauge to where a cliff is or where a steeper climb is going to be or a steeper descent is going to be but you also have to look at the declination box and in the declination box of every topographical map it'll tell you how to make the adjustment on uh, your with your compass onto that map and so you make that calculation you make that adjustment uh, and then it will tell you uh, what degrees of azimuth you need to shoot with your compass or find with your compass when you take your compass and you open it up uh, it's got a little hole in it. it's got a little wire through it and then a way to hold it and you uh, look and you get your coordinates off of your map and then you get to your place and you look around and you hold that up and you get the dial of the compass going around to the right degree that you need to go to and then through that site you look off into the distance and you find a fixed object. If you try to walk through rough terrain holding that compass and keeping it on the right degree you're never going to get where you're going. You'll always arrive at the wrong destination. You cannot be fixed upon what's right in front of you. You have to find a big object, a landmark off in the distance. And so you stop, you look at your map, you get your readings, you make your calculations, you shoot your azimuth, you find your object off in the distance. Sometimes it might be a particularly large tree or boulder or a farmhouse or a silo or some other object that you can see as you're making your course. And then you put your compass and your map away, you tuck them safely in their pack, and you set off for that fixed object off in the distance. And when you get there, then you redo the whole process. You look out about as far as you can see, depending on the terrain, and you make your next mark. But you're always looking to that distant object. You're always looking at the destination that you're trying to achieve. I'm just saying this morning that what he commands us to do here is to not look at the things that are before me this morning. Don't look at the problems that I have. Don't look too close at the successes that I'm having. Don't look too much at the attacks that are being hurled against me. Don't look too much at my physical condition and my health. Look unto Jesus. Stay focused on Him. The things that come up from day to day in life were enough to discourage anyone if we get our eyes off of the Lord. But He's laying out here and He's saying, Look unto me. Stay focused on me. Commentators say, Looking away from all else and looking at that which fills the heart. When my heart is full of, full of Jesus, I'll look to Him. <coughs> I know my, my wife and most everybody here, if you're visiting, you don't necessarily know her. You probably met her this morning, uh, but she's right over here. It's hard to tell because she's seated right now. But if she stood up right now, you would wonder if she was standing or if she was still seated. And so people don't put us together because uh, I'm six foot three. She's four foot eleven. 
and three quarters, according to her. Uh, and so I think that that's the looking back instead of looking forward, because we tend to get a little shorter as we get older. Uh, and so, uh, but to this day, thir after 34 years and a half of marriage, when she walks into the auditorium, if I'm looking anywhere in this direction without fail, she always catches my eye. Why? Because that's my heart. She's got every bit of it. And until Jesus Christ has our heart as his children, how often does he come and go when we never even notice that he's there or that he's left? He says, looking unto Jesus. Now I'm going to draw out about three different things here. We're going to move through these pretty rapidly. But number one this morning, consider that he designed my course. So Pastor, what about this race I have to run? Okay, God has a race for me. How do I run it? Well, first I have to accept the fact that he's the one who designed the course. God has a plan. Now it's my job to follow the course that he set. When I get off the course, that course is going to need to be corrected. And all of us from time to time are going to stray from our course. But I need to understand this morning... That if I'm following the Lord, if I'm looking unto Jesus, if I'm walking by faith, that the life that I'm living and the path that I'm following is not my own. It's not the one that I desire. It's not the one that I long to fulfill. If my heart is filled with Jesus, I'm going to long to fulfill his desire for me, his purpose for my creation and for my being. Uh, and I'm going to stay focused on him. And in the context of eternity, I have to realize this morning that as far as my life goes, that God did not plan and orchestrate straight my life for the 60 or 70 or however many years he grants me on this earth uh, with to not be tied into everything else but my life and your life is fabricated and designed by God to play a vital if unnoticed and unseen role at being interwoven throughout the context of all of eternity his plan is bigger than one individual person but every one individual person's role within the plan is vital and important. We may not feel important. We may not see uh, that we're making that much of a difference. But it is the path and the plan, the course that God designed. I want you to notice that he says, looking unto Jesus in verse number two, the author. He is the designer. He is the one who will take the lead and will set before me the course that has to go. And as the author, he did not just devise a plan, but he walked the plan. He came to earth. He put on human flesh. He was our example in all things. He taught us what it was like to sacrifice and to love. He taught us what it was like to endure attacks and affliction. He taught us what it was like to make a sacrifice uh, to honor and please the Lord. And he taught us what it was going to be like at some future date for us to overcome, to raise from, uh, to be resurrected and to come into the presence of God uh, whenever he comes back for us and comes back to collect his bride unto himself. He's here. He's saying, listen, I am the author and I'm your example. 
I have gone before you and I have shown you the way. I have led you in the path that you must go. And I'm here leading you in the path that I've called you to. I have been the pioneer. I am the captain of your life, of your ship. I am the prince and the power of, the, uh, of, of all of eternity and all that is. Uh, and he says, follow me and follow the example and the path that I've said. In 1 Peter uh, chapter number 2 and verses 21 through 24. <clears throat> he said this, For even the hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again, when he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye are healed. Understand this morning that he is the author. He is the one that has set the course. Notice also that he's the finisher. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He designed it. He showed it to us. He lived in it. He led us through it. And he says, this is what's going to bring you through to the conclusion. I am here. I'm the completer. I am the finisher. I am the perfecter. I am the one who in my person raised faith to a place where, it's where it was fulfilled perfectly. And I set it before you as the highest of examples of how you should live and what I can do in your life. He's the author. He's the finisher. If I'm going to do that, then I've got to get to the place where I trust his design. God, you designed my life. You planned my path. I don't understand it, but I trust you. You authored it. You'll finish it. You'll bring it to completion. And I can't see how. And I don't understand how. And I don't know how my life's going to ever make a difference or matter to anyone uh, other than those that are really close to me. But God, if it's the life that you plan for me and you're the author and you're the finisher, then I must learn to trust your design. What many of us need to do this morning is stop fighting against what God has put in our hearts to do on his behalf and follow the path that he set and chartered for us. Stop resisting and trust the design that God has for you. If I would realize and live in this design course, I must devote myself to the race. No one will finish the race that is not committed to the process. No one is going to do well or even finish if they don't train. I must devote myself to the race. I must lay aside every weight. I must lay aside every hindrance. I must lay aside every sin and run with patience. <coughs> Years ago when I was still in the military, I was with a couple of guys and we were running errands. It was during the day we were working. And so... Uh, we actually were in uniform and we had to go and pick up some things in town. And One of the guys that was with me was a Marine that ran the gym. And so he was, uh, he was in charge of, of the gym. He made sure the pool was clean. He made sure that, all of the, the, that it was clean all the time, that it was prepared. Uh, and that gym was a facility that 
that all of us had access to uh, unless the president happened to be there. If the president happened to be there, then it would be isolated or restricted from us at points in time when the president would want to use it. Uh, and so <clears throat> he was uh, well liked and well known by all of the different branches of services that were on our base. And uh, it was not a huge base, it's really pretty small. And, uh, and so he would, but he, he was always in the gym. Well, the reason that he was chosen to be in charge of the gym is because before he enlisted in the Marine Corps, he had one second place in a Mr. Nebraska bodybuilding contest. Uh, and so he was, he was a big guy. I mean, he was, uh, he looked the part. I mean, he didn't have to look. And, and we're out and he had just uh, had gotten back into a routine uh, where he was in training mode. And so we stopped, and me and, and, and the two guys that I was with, he was one of them. Uh, and so we stopped, and we're going through the salad bar at this place. And, uh, and yeah, I know, those of you that know me well said you went through a salad bar. Uh, and so, well, I just got a few things off there. But he's going through, and he's plucking through, and he's very, uh, he's very careful about what he's getting. Uh, and, and me and the other guy are there, and, you know, we've got our salad, and we've got our steak and potato, and we've got uh, some dessert. We've got some things that actually taste good, too. Uh, and so, but he's there and he's like, Aren't, do you want some of this? And, uh, and he was like, nope, I'm in training. I'm in training. I'm in training. And he was, he, he was serious about it. I was, there has to be a point in time in the Christian's life where we embrace the race. Where we own the fact that God has a plan for my life. And that owning that means that I've got to commit to the process. If I'm not willing as a Christian to commit to what God has called me to do, that what God has designed me to do, then I'm never going to reach my potential for the Lord Jesus Christ. God, I, and I, I'm a, I firmly believe that the role of the church and the pastor and its deacons and Sunday school teachers and other leaders is not to try to forge a bunch of believers into a cookie cutter mold of what we think a Christian life should look like. But our role rather is to help every believer realize and achieve their potential that God has put within them. Not everyone's potential is the same. Some people have great skill at some things where others have no ability whatsoever. Some people have greater intellectual ability. Some people are great thinkers, but they can't do any things with their hands. Some people see certain things that, that nobody else sees. Whatever our potential, our potential, whether it's greater or whether it's less than someone around us, is not a mistake and it's not a deficiency. It's not an extra blessing. It is what God designed us to be. And the only thing that's going to mark me as having successfully run my race when I stand before God someday, or having failed, is whether or not I have reached my potential for God. When we look and we understand what he's saying here, is I'm just saying that I must, if I would run the race, and if I would lay aside everything that hinders me, and if I would run it with patience, with a plan, with a strategy, then I must devote myself to the race. Are you devoted to your race this morning? Are you devoted to what God has given you to do? Well, pastor, so-and-so is doing this. It doesn't matter what someone else is doing. 
It doesn't matter where someone else is in their journey. It doesn't matter if someone else is coming through a great setback. It doesn't matter if someone is just getting realigned with the gospel. It doesn't, has no bearing on you or on me other than being there to help and assist and encourage them. I must embrace and devote myself to the race that God has given me. I must realize not only has he designed uh, my course, but he has defined my cause. He has defined what it is that he would have me do. Notice that Jesus says, and again he's our example in all things, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. What are we talking about here? He, his cause was the joy that was before him. What is the cause of the believer? Jesus. A real walk relationship with him. And it doesn't have to wait until we get to heaven. We can have it right here, right now. He wants and longs to be engaged in a relationship and fellowship with you. Beyond salvation, he wants to be close to you. He wants to engage in conversation with you. He wants to empower and strengthen you. My cause, our cause, the joy that's before us is Jesus. The joy that's before us is the hope of heaven. Why is it so worth it, Pastor, to run this race? Why is it so important that I commit? Why would I uh, be setting my affection, my eyes upon him? Why am I looking unto Jesus? I'm looking unto Jesus for the joy that's set before me like he did and the cross for the joy that was set before him. And the joy that is set before us is the hope of heaven. To come into his presence. To come into the presence of our Father in heaven. To be able to reunite and connect with loved ones that have trusted him as Savior and have gone on before us. Uh, and to be with them without pain, without injury. With bodies that function, with ears that hear, with eyes that see. Uh, with, uh, with limbs that work, with minds that are intact. Uh, that have been restored to their perfect created state in the way that God designed and wanted them. That is the joy that is set before us. It is heaven. It is rest. Not just physical rest, but mental, emotional, and spiritual rest. It is set before us. The hearing of our Father in heaven. Not saying whenever we cross the finish line, you were first, but hearing when we cross the finish line, well done, thou good and faithful servant is the joy that's set before us this morning. For the, for the joy set before him, what do we must do? Well, we must, Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24. Jesus said in Mark chapter 8 and verse 34. Jesus said in Luke chapter 9 and verse 23, that if any man would be my disciple, he must take up his cross, deny himself, and follow me. What's he saying? He's saying, get in the race. He's saying, embrace the race. He's saying, take upon you what I have designed for you. I have designed your course and I have defined your cause. And your cause is not to make some other person happy. Your cause is a relationship with Christ. Your cause is a home in heaven. Your cause is to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Our cause is to endure our cross as he endured his as an example to us. Then thirdly and lastly consider this morning 
that if we would run our race that we must realize that he demonstrates our coronation. Our coronation? Yeah, you're a joint heir with Christ this morning if you've trusted him as your savior. And the Bible speaks of different crowns that, uh, that we can attain and that, uh, that he has given us. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8 he says, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day, and not, me, not to me only, but unto all them also that love uh, his appearing. And James uh, chapter number uh, 1 and verse number 12, uh, he says here, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried he shall receive the crown of life, uh, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. There are crowns promised you, and the crown in the race that Paul is writing here, I believe in Hebrews chapter 12, and I realize the Bible doesn't tell us that Paul wrote it, but I believe he did. Uh, you can disagree with me on that point if you want. The Lord will set all that straight when we get there. Uh, and so, but as he, uh, as he writes there, he says, listen, I, you're in the race. There's a weight that you need to cast aside. You need to be focused and attentive to what I've given you to do. You need to endure that cross. And if you do, then I'm going to bring you to a point of your coronation. When they would finish the race, the winners, uh, today we see in, <coughs> in world-class events and Olympics and World Cups and things of that, they'll have the, the podium, and that's the big deal to get on the podium. You're either first or second or third. You're either going to get a gold or, uh, or silver or bronze medal to signify your accomplishment. In those days in, uh, in the time of the New Testament they got a, a wreath that would go on the head. It was that crown that would be placed upon them and essentially what he's saying here is he's saying listen, when you come into the, the presence of God, when you've finished your race, when your course is complete and when you leave this life and come to him and you are sat down with him at rest, you come hearing thou good and faithful servant, you will get your crowns. Our honor is liable to not come in this life. But it will come when we come into his presence, if we run our race. And that is before us. Jesus, when he finished his course, sat down at the right hand of God. And we will sit down around the throne of God. Jesus, when he finished his course, was in the presence of his Father. And we too are promised when we finish this course to be in the presence of our Father. Listen, it is a great and wonderful thing to live knowing that when I finish my life, that my reward is to stand before God, to be at rest, to be restored, and to see in person the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the one that created, the one that holds it all together, the one who gave himself for me, and the one that led me through the race and showed me and enlightened to me the path that was before me. We'll be with them. And I'm just saying this morning that if I would run the race that he has for me, if I will be living my life looking unto Jesus, I can look forward and understand that he's the one that designed my Listen, Pastor, you don't understand how hard my life is. Maybe I don't. But if you know my testimony, you know that mine's not always been a picnic itself. And nor is most people's here. 
rather than looking on my problems and looking at the shortfalls and looking at the struggle and looking at the ways in which we've been truly wronged, look unto Jesus. Look what he's given. And when I get to the point where I just say the race is too hard, the race is too long, the race is too difficult, the race is too hurtful, the race is too debilitating and crushing, remember that God, that Jesus is the one that designed your course. We're not all running the same course. Your course is unique for you. And my course is unique for me. But embrace the course. He designed it. I'm so weary because if we try to finish it on our own strength, we will be weary. He didn't tell us to run it alone. He told us to run it with Him. Let Him finish it. He's the author. He's the finisher. I must trust that design. And I must give myself to the race. He designed the course. He defined my cause. And He wants to give me my crowns. Will I run my race this morning? We must endure. We must run with patience like He did the contradiction of sinners. Notice that he says, such contradiction of sinners. For consider him in verse 3 that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. Lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. What's he talking about? The contradiction of sinners was here's Jesus living in perfection, setting the path. And every person that came and rebelled against it, that fought against it, that brought accusation against him, that stood to hinder him was a contradiction. It is the contradiction of sinners. Don't think that we can live life without opposition. Opposition will come. What do I do? Consider him that endures. He endured. And he designed the course. And so can you. Consider him that endured. And you can endure too. Focus on him. Look unto him. When all the world crumbles around you and when everything is falling out from underneath your feet and when you're about to lose hope, stop looking at today. Stop looking down. Stop looking to the left and to the right and look unto Jesus and let him carry you through.